0: While it might seem like a breath of fresh air for families locked down in the pandemic, sending kids back to school is fraught with many hurdles. Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. Limbo best describes a situation for students, teachers and administrators when it comes to COVID-19 and whether it's safe to return. How do you physical distance with five-year-olds? Let's face it, at the best of times, schools are bubbling with bacteria and germs. The province of Quebec was ready to send students back to school after the Victoria Day weekend, but Premier Legault has walked that back, considering Montreal is still a hotbed of COVID-19. In Ontario, schools originally were to open at the end of May, but the provincial government's backed off a hard date. In Alberta, there's still confusion whether schools will reopen this year. Since the lockdown, students have been able to access online learning. But with only about five weeks left in the year, does it make any sense to return? Heidi Yetmans, the president of the Quebec Provincial Association of Teachers, and she joins us now. And Heidi, I guess first off, your members must be relieved that the premier's backed off opening up in Montreal.
1: Oh, it was a sign of relief, especially for the teachers in Montreal. Um, You know, it's really concerning. They're very high. They've got high anxiety. They're very worried about the return. But it's important to remember that we still have, you know, thousands of teachers that are at work this, you know, that they Mm -hmm. started last week. Um, So, yeah, there's a sign of relief, obviously.
0: All right. So we we do have some schools reopening outside of Montreal in Quebec. Uh, What are your members saying about how prepared these schools were to accept students and teachers back?
1: Well, they had very little time to plan, and that was a huge problem. Um, When they announced the opening of the schools on April 27th, there was no plan in place so they've been scrambling for the last uh, couple of weeks trying to get the schools ready and organized and teachers are amazing and so are school teams they were they were able to you know do the the desks with two meters apart in each classroom and lay down um, tape on the floor so that kids knew where to step as they're walking through the halls so that the the, the opening started on monday and it actually went fairly smoothly Um, But I always say that, you know, the first week of school is the honeymoon period. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be really interesting in the next couple of weeks to see how that moves along. And because it was kind of successful this week, there are more parents now that are in, you know, they want to send their kids to school. So this week was a very low turnout, you know, something between 20 and 50 percent of the students returned in the outer regions of Montreal.
0: Now, uh, when for some of these uh, schools that did reopen in, in Quebec, you're saying that the province didn't have a, a plan for returning, it was, seemed to be a bit ad-hoc?
1: Absolutely, and as a matter of fact, what they did was they gave the responsibilities to the school boards and the principals. And, um, you know, school boards are not uh, health professionals. They're educational professionals. Um, So uh, this was something that QPAT had been talking about since the beginning. We need to sit down and really work it out and also talk to the teachers on the ground. Because uh, as you said in your intro, uh, try to to social distance Mm five-year-olds. It's impossible. And at the beginning of this plan, they weren't even... um, you know, providing masks or anything. And we knew that uh, kindergarten and pre-kindergarten kids would would be very difficult to teach at two distance away, even like, you know, their shoe tie on, on laces and how are you supposed to help them? And so just, you know, like a few days before the opening, they finally said, okay, we will provide masks for kindergarten teachers. So that's how like, you know, it's like, it's on the fly. It's improvising. It's, and i think that's that's dangerous i think that something like this has to be really well planned in advance
0: you know you you mentioned these uh the schools outside of montreal that that reopened this week the the students that that returned and i and you mentioned it was low turnout 20 to 50% i'm kind of curious if uh, there was a little bit of maybe dread or or anxiety in the classroom with these young people you know still a little confused about what's going on
1: Oh absolutely I would say that there's a lot of teachers that didn't sleep very well on that Sunday night mm. um you know they were really wondering what it was going to look like they were nervous um, some some teachers, uh, and you have to understand that teachers are citizens too and we're all taking this pandemic in different ways. So we did have some teachers, of course, that were really excited to see their their students. Others that were petrified and very afraid. And I think that there was a kind of a, a relief when they got there and realized that it was actually running fairly smoothly. But like I said, this is the honeymoon period, and Mm -hmm. uh, we already have in the English sector. We don't we don't have as many schools, but we already had uh, three students that had to be taken uh, sent home. Uh, because of symptoms and so that's concerning too you know that Mm -hmm. right on the first week we've used we have like a each school is going to have like a an emergency COVID-19 room so when a student shows symptoms they're rushed to this room and taken care of there and somebody has to put on like the full kit you know, the gowns, the, the gloves, everything until their parents come to pick them up. I, I'm just thinking, as a student, that would be really terrifying
0: <laughs> to put into
1: the COVID 19 room, you know? Yeah, but no kidding. Uh, we've already had uh, three incidents just in the English sector. So I don't know what the French sector was like. You got to realize that in the French sector, there's probably, um, you know, 10 times as many students,
0: uh, of course. Heidi Yetmans joining us in the Unpublished Cafe. She's president of the Quebec Provincial Association of Teachers as we talk about the provinces considering reopening schools right across the country. And, and Heidi, what do you see as the biggest roadblock to reopening schools?
1: Well, it really, the, the, the biggest roadblock really is the plan, planning because um, the thought, well, let's go back before COVID 19. We had oversized classes. We didn't have enough resources. Um, Support staff was low, so schools weren't cleaned uh, efficiently. And I'm I'm not blaming anybody. It's just that we've cut back in education so much that now those become the roadblocks because our schools can't fit kids in in the building at two meters apart. So we're going to have to actually... You know, in the fall when everybody returns, well, I don't even think that's possible. Uh, we're going to have to actually remove students from their their schools and put them somewhere else. Either, like, if I take elementary school for example, they might have to go into the high school, um, which means that the high school students won't be going back full time. Then there's the whole cleanliness thing. We need to hire more custodians. We don't have enough. Uh, I remember when I was a teacher, I've taught for 23 years, and uh, we'd have one or two night custodians in high school, and they wouldn't necessarily get to every room during that evening. So that's a real issue, too. And then we have kids with special needs that need one-on-one. One-on-one means that you're sitting right next to that child. And those children don't necessarily understand social distancing. So I think those are real big concerns, uh, you know. And then there's the whole uh, emergency remote learning, I'm calling it. Because I'm calling it emergency because I wouldn't want to see this being permanent. Um, a lot of kids don't have the space at home to do this. Uh, maybe they they don't have internet or they don't have a device. Uh, so... It's complex, it's really, really complex.
0: You, you mentioned, uh, you know, what, what it might look like returning in the fall, like you think it might not return in the fall.
1: Yeah, well, especially for the high school students, I would say there's going to be some sort of hybrid uh, between, um, you know, um, online learning and in-person learning. You know, maybe for example, that they'll spend uh, two days a week at home and three days a week at school, doing more hands-on stuff like laboratories, and getting some tutorial help or something. And that's concerning. Like I said, there's a lot of kids out there that are that would have a really hard time uh, uh, learning online. Uh, Right now in Quebec, all all students are doing online working, but it's uh, online work, but it's kind of sporadic and. And this is another problem um, is that each school is doing their own thing. So depending on which school you're in, Mm -hmm. you might your child might be actually doing a lot of online work. Somebody else's child in another school might be doing trickles here and there. And depending on the teacher, too, some teachers are very comfortable with online teaching and others. You know, they may have been in the classroom like me for 23 or 24 years, and I've never touched online work before. And now all of a sudden they're thrown into this new uh, reality that's complex and difficult. And uh, so, yeah, so it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's like I said before, it's really complicated and um, it's, it's a challenge for sure.
0: With, with so little time left in the school year, you know, perhaps five, six weeks, is it even worth it to go back?
1: Well, I don't think so, not in Quebec. That's mm. for sure. Quebec has got you know more than 50% of all the COVID cases, and I'm very concerned in the next couple of weeks for some of the schools that are outside, just outside the region of Montreal, because there's schools that just happen to be on the other side of the border of of the Montreal region, but the, the, there are you know there's students in that school that actually come from a hot spot. So I'm really concerned about those schools in particular, and uh, I'm like we're uh, we're really keeping our eye on that. I I really think we should have, personally, I think we should have, you know, closed it all down and sat down and really worked in the month of May and June to organize a plan that's going to work in the fall. And like I said before, it's all over the place. It's, it's, um, and that, to me, creates um, inequity in education when some students are capable of getting, you know, the the education that they need and others aren't. I mean, you just have to look at the island of Montreal. The hot spots on the island of Montreal are the disadvantaged areas. And that tells you a lot about our society, that those are the ones that are getting sick it's because they're in small apartments. They, and like I said, the, the, imagine the children in those areas. They probably don't have Internet. They probably don't have a device. So it's very concerning and uh, shows you that uh, we have a lot of inequities in, in our society.
0: Heidi, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Heidi Yetmans, the president of the Quebec Professional Teachers Association. Here in Ontario, the end of May was suggested as a possible return to class for students, but nothing was laid out in stone. Annie Kidder is the executive director of People for Education, and she joins us now. And Annie, has the Ford government been prudent in not committing to a hard date to reopen schools?
2: Absolutely. I think that what's important is that the commitment is to, you know, meeting certain thresholds, certain milestones in terms of the health Of uh, the population, so how many cases of COVID are they? Are they going down? Uh, You know, does it seem Mm -hmm. as if the uh, we're getting things in hand? And that the decisions have to be based on that, not on a date, not on because you know we're tired of our children at home, Mm -hmm. anything like that. Um, So I think that they have been prudent. Yes.
0: Let's chat about the impact on those young minds. How how do you see this? (laughs) This uh, uh, obviously the pandemic. Affecting their learning and and mental growth
2: Well, and their mental health, I think I think there's a lot of things to think about About how Uh, the pandemic is affecting young people and all of us, actually. I have a 27 year old who says that she thinks we're all in a state of cosmic anxiety. I kind of like that as a, Mm -hmm. so when we're thinking about kids, yes, we have to think about their learning. We have to remember that learning encompasses a lot of things, uh, you know, cooking with your parents, talking about the pandemic, um, coloring, listening to music, thinking, trying to figure things out on your own. That's all learning. Um, We also do really have to think about their mental health because they may have, you know, a whole range of understandings of what's going on or things that they're worried or anxious about. So we have to take that into account too. I don't think, now I'm not a, I'm an expert Mm. overall in education, but not an education expert in this way. But I don't think we need to worry in a huge way about um, that they're going to lose Um, lose learning in a way that's kind of irretrievable. Um, They will go back to school eventually. There is learning going on. Um, There have already been concerns raised about, you know, is the curriculum too packed anyway? Um, So I don't think that it's going to cause them irreparable harm, but it's certainly, it's, you know, I think it's going to change all our lives, though.
0: Yeah, you mentioned you'd mentioned mental health, and you know, in particular, when you're dealing with with young people, uh, these kids probably don't get get the whole idea. Of this what what's a pandemic, and what do we do? And you know, we've had some comments on on our website and, and Facebook page where parents are saying their their kids are terrified to go outside because they're afraid that they're going to get their grandparents sick or or, or somebody else sick.
2: No, and I think that I think we really have to think about that. I'm going to show my age here. But when I was nine, uh, we went through the Cuban Missile Crisis. So this was, you know, a -hmm. few days where there really was a threat of a nuclear war. Um, And I was set, my family was all kind of broken up across Canada for various reasons. And I was really worried that I was going to die and never see my family again. And nobody talked to me about it. So I would read the newspaper secretly by myself in the bathroom, but it didn't occur to anybody to think, oh, this nine-year-old is hearing about what's going on, but doesn't really understand it. So I think that we have to know that kids, even, you know, four-year-olds, they're aware of what's happening, but they may be, you know, understanding it in different ways. Some of them may, may be totally terrified. There are kids who are afraid to go outside. So we have to talk to them. Them about a lot. Uh, we have to think about that, and we certainly have to think about it in, in the fall, which is probably when there's some form of school back, about how this has uh, affected them and how we need to think about that kind of going forward.
0: Andy Kidder joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. She's executive director of People for Education as we talk about the provinces contemplating reopening schools as uh, COVID-19 cases start to, well, at least uh, drop a bit. Let's talk about online learning in Ontario. Uh, That's what the the province rolled out when uh, schools were classes were going to be canceled. Uh, Has it been worth it?
2: Well, oh, I think it's been worth it. I think that it's important that we know this isn't, you know, this isn't really a model of online learning. This is basically, uh, you know, learning in an emergency in various ways. So, yes, uh, most of it happening online. In some cases, you know, teachers are phoning their students. There's there's a lot of different kinds of learning going on. This isn't, uh, you know, what e-learning is. This isn't a, a model where, you know, a kid is learning a whole course, Uh, online. And I think that some of it, as far as I know and as far as I hear, has been working okay. I think it certainly made us realize, all of us, I hope, collectively, that schools are really, really, really important and irreplaceable. But on the other hand, I also hope that we're learning from this, that there are people doing research, people are interviewing students and teachers about how it's working, what's effective, because uh, technology you know, obviously, it's it's ubiquitous in our lives, and online learning's not going to go away. But it is not a replacement uh, for school for face to face interactions with between teachers and students. The relationship part of school is very very important. But I think you know, I hope that we've learned um, how to engage students online, and and maybe possibilities of going. You know what? Now that I now I realize I can actually integrate, you know, two different courses and I could teach this this way and I could teach part of it through using various sort of online, um, whatever techniques or software or methods that, that do engage students. So it's, you know, not, there's no black and white in this and, you know, it definitely has has made some possibilities arise. I think the other thing, though, is that it has also exposed what was always there, which is the the vast differences among families and it's not just whether they have a computer or not but that when there is no school to kind of level the playing field, then then you start to see that families are all different, obviously, and they have different incomes and different education levels, different capacity in this pandemic. Some of them have lost their jobs. Other ones are, you know, working in essential uh, services and can't, you know, and have to go to work. Some of them are, have the luxury of, you know lovely big house with a yard and lots of computers and parents who are university educated and can, you know, manage this with their kids or who had nannies all along, whatever. So we have to think about that too, because that, that is the thing that's been kind of most notable in this is that, Families are not the same and, you know, we can't, there's no one size fits all here. I heard a great line uh, listening to the radio where somebody said, uh, you know, we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. And I think that's very important, even when it comes to online learning.
0: What do you envision schools will look like in the post-pandemic world? (laughs)
2: I I think that's the hardest question to answer because, you know, there's the physically what are they going to be like and are we still going to be dealing with physical distancing? I don't know. Um, I think that in terms of what they look like in a sort of bigger picture way, I hope that we are thinking now about the future as opposed to just, you know, trying to deal with the current emergency Um, and understanding that it's important that we 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 don't go back to anything, and particularly as has happened in Quebec, that we're not going to, okay, some kind of bare bones version of education because we know now how, you know, that is not education. that it's not enough. So I, what I really hope is that it won't look like school, not to, you know, put down Quebec too much, but Mm -hmm. you know, there's no arts, there's no drama, there's no phys ed, there's no real playing outside. There's no, um, so that it's, it's like a, a really horrible version of back to the basics. And I think, you know, I hope, this pandemic, too, has been a kind of glaring example of how fast the world can change or does change or is changing, and that we have to make sure that, back to the mental health piece, that we are teaching kids the skills that they need to be resilient, to be problem solvers, to be critical thinkers, to to be able to understand different points of view, uh, to be able to collaborate and be creative, that these are the kind of long-term uh, skills that we call that the new basics that that kids need um, in order to be successful in the long term. And we have to be thinking about that while we're trying to deal with the, the kind of current state.
0: Annie, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you. Annie Kidder is the Executive Director of People for Education. And this leads to our unpublished dot vote question. Should provinces cancel the rest of the school year for students? Yes, no, or unsure. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. I want to thank Heidi Yetman, president of the Quebec Professional Teachers Association, and Annie Kidder, the executive director of People for Education. And I want to thank you for listening to the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.